Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. We're excited that you've given us, uh, you're going to give us the next half an hour to an hour, depending on how fast you listen to the show, because I'm confident you will listen to us all the way through. We are a happily married couple of almost 14 years uh, with four children, ages 11 through terrible, and we live in Montana. We have to clarify it's not terrible twos or the horrible threes, but the effing horrible fours. <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, I thought she was bad at three. I was like, there's no such thing as terrible two. With her, it's terrible threes, but four is turning into an exciting adventure Yeah, <clears throat> in a not good way. I don't know how much is her and how much is me being busy and distracted and not being consistent and disciplined and everybody else just giving her what she wants until she pushes too far and then flips out or the fact that she's keeping up with older siblings and even when I try to get her to nap she knows she's missing out on something and so she won't nap or she's having so much fun playing with the girls I don't know if you know this JR but out behind the sand pile Mm -hmm. those old tables that you got from our nursery friends Mm -hmm. they have set those up like a store like a cafe yeah and they play in the shade yesterday afternoon they spent hours playing in the shade there's a dog barking like crazy upstairs yeah normally it's probably somebody delivering something ups guy so so it's very hard for me to tear her away from delightful play with her sisters or to say no you can't go biking with your siblings after dinner but i need to just say no because it bite it's just biting us in the butt i i don't know how, how much of a different person she would be if she were not perpetually sleep deprived but yeah it's yeah um yeah hi yeah that's why i call she's, she turned she's turd she's turd year old one, two, yeah, three, she's really turd. a challenge. For example, you guys, on Sunday night, my parents had a barbecue with a couple of neighbors that they're, they and we, we are, we live about a mile from my parents and we're on big lots, not the store, big lots, but large acreage properties and well, one to two acres. Anyway. Uh, their next door neighbors have become very good friends with our next door neighbors, but we haven't crossed paths really with our next door neighbors. And so anyway, we had to get together with all four families and it was delightful. And I made the kid, I, Lily, well, I, I came up with this idea and Lily poo-pooed me at first. She said, I don't think a funfetti cookie sounds good. And I was like, excuse me? You love sprinkles. You love sugar cookies. It's literally a sugar cookie with sprinkles, tons of sprinkles in it. And then I wanted to make sandwiches with them. So we did chocolate and vanilla frosting in Mm -hmm. between two Funfetti cookies. And they were a huge hit. And true to Lily's form, I started making them because I told her she poo-pooed it. And I said, okay, fine, then I'll do them myself. And as soon as I started baking, she was like, "Uh, no, I'll do that, mom. No, I'll do that, mom. I've got this. So then she took credit for having made them, which is fine with me. I like that she, I can pretty much delegate a lot of cooking and decorating and things like that to my nine-year-old and she crushes it. 
But there was enough leftover frosting that I let them have frosting on banana slices for a snack just an hour ago this morning. And Faith did not get as much frosting on her banana as she wanted. And she screamed bloody murder so badly that Jay, she was outside and Jay was like, what is going on? And oh, man. Lily and Elise both came in because they were like, we're, that- not, we're not dealing with that. And Faith just sat out there and screamed. You guys, I don't... Um... It's a rare occasion that I've slapped my children right right on the cheek. Um, and it, I can tell you right now, every single time is when they've screamed. To me, there seems to be this line that is completely and totally unacceptable. Just not even kind of. So, um, yeah, I was, I was about to put the smack down on the four-year-old. Uh, I, this is pretty cool, Molly. Yes. We are one show away from 100. This is episode 99. Wow. And we're going to, since I know everybody out there is just going to be holding their breath for what incredible special thing we do for episode 100. Oh, man. Unless you've been listening to us for a while and you're like, <clears throat> they don't actually really have their act together. <laughs> this is why we do... have off-the-cuff conversations, guys, because we do... can't research and follow up on things. Yeah, and so every time we have a special occasion, like it's episode 50 or whatever, let's Molly's do something like, special let's for do a it. giveaway, and I'm like, no, it's we... hard and complicated, and it's, it's just, we, and it takes work, and all that, and we're so busy And we're bad at follow-through. We're very bad at, fo- I mean, in everything in life, I'm bad at follow-through. <laughs> I come up with great plans for the kids educationally, and I'm terrible at follow-through, and... I get the laundry washed and sometimes dried and very rarely folded and even more rarely put away. Just follow through on all fronts is a struggle for me. But uh, we will not be recording next week because we will be at the cabin for the fourth. At least not early in the week. It's possible we could throw down a recording uh, towards the the end of the week. True. Okay. But yeah. Um... Um, so I want to tell you about my drink for the summer, my summer beverage. Gin and tonic with cucumber and jalapeno. No, that's you. Oh. This is, this is me and the girls all day long. I bought this tea on a whim. I'm shaking it because it's a bulk bag of tea. I got it at Natural Grocers. If you have a Natural Grocers or a Vitamin Cottage near you, it's called Blueberry Wild Child Tea, and it has just actual chunks. You can see I'm showing you there. Chunks. Of different things. It looks like tobacco. It looks like my pipe. It does actually look like your tobacco. I was going to read the list of ingredients. It's chunks of apple, hibiscus, elderberry, rosehip, blueberry, pomegranate, pineapple, and corn flowers. Which are Are you drinking it cold or hot? Cold. So I brew it in a quart mason jar, Mm -hmm. and then I put it in the fridge after it cools down a little bit. And it has so much flavor; it's almost like drinking juice. It's just such a rich, thick, fruity flavor. And I added a bit of honey to it for the girls, and they agreed that it felt like like drinking juice. So I'm thinking I'm going to keep a package of, or a jar of brewed cold mm. blueberry wild child tea in the fridge all summer, and that will satisfy the kids' summertime juice craving. Uh, I'm trying to think if I could turn it into popsicles. I probably could. That would be super interesting. Popsicle fiends and good, healthy popsicles are kind of expensive. So, two more food things that I want to tell people about for our barbecue get-together with our 
neighbors on Sunday night. Uh, Jared did a brisket, which I'm not going to tell you about, because I'm sure we've talked ad In episodes past, about... we've talked ad nauseum. If you go to Traeger's website and search for a Facebook live stream with Matt Pittman of Meat Church Barbecue, um, that's typically... I was doing most of what he's been doing anyway, but he had a couple tips in there that I've adopted. So just follow his recipe and you'll crush your brisket every single time. Yep. Yep. Every time. So I also made for the first time some sourdough baguettes, which didn't quite have baguette texture. They had more of a French bread texture, but they were great. I was happy for my first time doing that. But I also made to spread on top of the baguette slices a whipped goat cheese that I loved. So I took a whole thing of room temperature, the Costco goat cheese, which if you're buying your goat cheese anywhere else, you're throwing your money away. If you're a Costco person, it's a fraction of the price to buy the two pack of goat cheese Mm. at Costco. So buy the one whole tube of that. And then I did a whole stick of room temperature butter And then I did a sprinkle of salt, about a quarter of a cup of chopped chives, a couple sprigs of thyme that I chopped up finely, fresh thyme. And it's got to be, it's got to be fresh herbs, I think, in this. Yeah, I don't think the texture would be, and flavor would be good with, but it's fresh herb season, so should be available to you. And then I sauteed a couple of smashed garlic cloves in olive oil just until the garlic was aromatic and the oil was kind of infused with a flavor and then I just whipped it with a hand held food uh hand mixer for until it was really fluffy and it was it was so good I've actually had it on leftover baguette slices for breakfast for the last two mornings yeah nice whipped cream or whipped goat cheese not whipped cream and baguettes so if you are oh I just heard the four-year-old scream of course you did. If you have to bring food to some sort of holiday barbecue that might be coming up in the next few days or for the rest of the summer, would highly encourage you to consider bringing baguette slices that people can smear whipped goat cheese on. The other food that is unique but delicious is watermelon salsa. Which we have some leftover wa- we do watermelon. That. And your, your pineapple mango salsa is also really up in there in the deliciousness. Category. I Yes, but the watermelon salsa is more almost like a pico de gallo. So you can eat it by the spoonful or use it as a dip for chips. If you look up, I'll have I'll look this up for JR, but Pioneer, I use Pioneer Woman's recipe. And it's just a whole bunch of bell peppers, finely chopped watermelon, probably some jalapeno, salt, cilantro, onion... That's probably about it. I haven't done it for a while, but I plan to do it over the 4th. And I, you guys, I don't like watermelon. And my mom doesn't like watermelon. We just doesn't do much for us. I'll eat it sometimes and enjoy a couple of pieces. But I'm not the type of person who... We have a friend who literally eats an entire large watermelon by herself every week for the entire summer. And she's done all the research about picking out the best watermelons in the stores. And her husband owns a landscaping company, and she is an excellent gardener and probably grows her own watermelon, too. Anyway, I'm nothing 
like her. And this salsa is really good. It's like it's kind of like a sweet pico de gallo, unique twist, but something mm. that would surprise people if you're bringing something for the fourth uh, to a barbecue, but would also make people happy. Okay, if you feel like we are blowing you away with links and recipes and things, I, I will, I'll include. I won't make you search <laughs> Traeger's website. I'll include the links to all these things in the show notes for later. So. You can have them. What are your plans for the 4th, my dear? We're going to the cabin. Yeah, we are. I'm actually coming back. Titus and I are doing are celebrating a friend's birthday party. So we're doing three days of downhill mountain biking. And then and then we're, we're crossing paths in Bozeman. And I'm continuing into town because I'm I've got a I'm, a, I'm engineering a show, uh, a jazz show at I, I picked up a gig as the house engineer on uh pretty much Saturday nights at one of the local uh, microbreweries, which also happens to be our second largest music venue in Billings, I think. Third, after the Metra. Well, I don't include the Metra. Metra's, Metra's like, that doesn't even qualify. Because it's um, too big to compare? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> in the hierarchy of Billings, Montana, you've got the Metra, which is our big arena rock show thing, and then you've got the pub station. I'm also working at the pub station uh, as one of their house engineers, but... Um, and the pub station, and then you've got Thirsty Street. Um, so anyway, Jash is coming through town, so I'm coming back into town to do that. And then Monday morning, uh, Monday some point, I'm headed back up to the uh, the cabin to meet you guys for a couple of days. Yep. Yep. Uh, so we're going to sit around and do a whole lot of nothing. Uh, I don't know. I'm hoping to, maybe you can bring the bikes and we can do some biking up there or something. I don't know. I'm hoping that'll to be, not do a whole That'll be a challenge of, since they're all in the back of the, of the van. I'd have to disassemble the bike rack and throw it on the back of the truck and oh. reassemble it. It's just a it's giant. I'd never mm. intended to do that. So Okay. Okay. <clears throat> um, so you missed the sermon on Sunday, but there, were, there was a really cool point. You guys, I was working Saturday night um, for uh, the pub station that I previously mentioned, but it wasn't an engineering gig. They needed an extra stagehand, and there was a country rock artist from Texas that came through. I won't mention his name because I can't endorse anything really about him. But um, they need another stagehand. So I started work at 11. That was a load-in time for the band's trailer. And there was already a semi-trailer there, the stage trailer with rigging and lights and all that stuff. Started at 11. Did not get done until 4.30 in the morning on Sunday with Tara. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I, woke, up, I, I like, woke up at 3.30 and completely freaked out. Yeah, she calls me and goes, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Still standing here in the parking lot. We're packing up the semi And right then now. I didn't, I don't know if I told you this, I didn't sleep the rest of the night. Um, yeah, so anyway, so then I slept. I put my earplugs in and asked Molly to have the kids not wake me up in Sunday morning. And I slept till about one. Yeah. So the, our get, we had a guest preacher this week and he preached last week also. And he preached at our church, I don't know, sometime this spring. Mm-hmm. And he's a well. college guy. He's, he's a campus he's ministry guy. He's a Reformed University Fellowship. He was also a missionary somewhere in Eastern Europe um, prior to coming to do RUF in Bozeman, which is about two hours from us. He All three times that he's preached, he's preached out of the Gospel of John for us. 
And by this time, I was like, wait a second, I'm I'm seeing a theme here. It is it. So it made me wonder, I would actually I don't know him personally. And but I would love to ask him, is is John your jam? Or did did are you teaching through this for RUF or are these just your back pocket sermons, sermons that you love yeah. or are you did you do your thesis on John in seminary I, I don't know I would just be curious to know why he's choosing to preach through John he's done the first time he did the wedding at Cana and it made a huge impression on my kids because he's he looks really young and he talked about how he was got carded at his own wedding because he had such a baby face. And then last week he preached on... What did he preach on last week? Now I can't remember. I wasn't Something there. Else, not, not this last one, the one before. Oh. Something else there. in John. And then this time he preached on the woman at the well. And I've got my notes upstairs, I think. And he... Yeah, I actually might have taken notes in the notebook I'm using right now. But anyway, he... I have enjoyed him preaching on John because... If you guys recall, for Lent, I had the kids memorize John 1, 1 through 17, which meant that I memorized John 1, 1 to 17, and spent a ton of time contemplating and just then seeing the themes of the Word and the Word made flesh. So God being God, infinite, eternal, unchanging God, taking on human flesh and all that that entails, and then again in John 1, the contrast between light and darkness and understanding and not understanding and the unexpected way that light overcomes or is not overcome by darkness, but but conquers darkness. And, and so then I know sometime around Lent, I talked about John 13 and Monday, Thursday, and even that the uh, the Last Supper scene where when Judas goes out, John very specifically says, and it was night. And he does that because he's pointing out, he's he's using light and darkness to paint a picture of good and evil and of deeds done in darkness and things like that. So he, he mentioned, he he raised a couple of those sorts of themes the, the preacher did on Sunday, which I enjoyed kind of hearing and makes me think maybe I should read through John a few times just to cement some more of those themes in me. But one of the, one of the things I know I've talked about this before with you and with you guys, but it, it resonated with me again in one of my seminary classes with Dr. Welch, with Ed Welch, he, he talked about counseling people who had a lot, a deep experience of shame and he said, and the relationship between shame is the internal sense of uncleanness. And so you have the Old Testament uh, holiness laws and cleanness, clean, unclean, holy, unholy. And I wasn't planning to go here, so I haven't thought this through how to articulate this clearly. This is what makes our podcast a special bit. Right. <laughs> There's no, children wailing I was upstairs. Literally, children literally wailing, wailing upstairs. And- I was Ugh. I was just going to try Sounds this like as a refresher. She's probably smacked by one of her sisters. Oh, could She's be. so sensitive. She needs to grow a spine. <laughs> it does sound like Lily, the nine-year-old. 
But she's um, not coming down uh, here. There's somebody, so there's there's somebody peeking around the corner right now. Oh Their head gosh. slowly disappeared when I noticed them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so clean, unclean. In the Old Testament, you had to be perfectly clean in order to enter the Holy of Holies. And just in case you weren't, they tied a rope around your ankle in case God struck you dead, right? And this is mm-hmm. the high priest once a year enters the presence of God and the there's this constant refrain as God is encountering his people that I am holy and in order to be in the presence of a holy God, you too must be holy. But you are not holy. You are sinful creatures. And both of those are fall short of the holiness of God, the sinful and the creature part. And God condescends to be with his creatures. As we see, he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. But their creatureliness and their sinfulness became such a danger to them that that's why God had to banish them from the garden. And as the children's book, The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross says, because of your sin, you can't come in. The interesting thing about uncleanness that Ed Welch pointed out is that it's contagious. So... Skin issues, obviously, are literally contagious. So there are people who say God had the cleanness laws and the mold in the house laws and things like that. And the mm-hmm. the food, the dietary laws for the Israelites' health. And that could be true to a certain extent. But it has a much deeper spiritual reality, which is if you are around unclean things or people it spreads to you and contaminates you. And we see that in Proverbs, bad company corrupts good behavior. And I've, this is a side point, I've actually been trying to impress that on our kids a lot lately because they have friends who bring them up and they have friends who bring them down. But the interesting thing is if they're around <clears throat> perpetually disobedient, naughty kids, they sink to that level in a heartbeat. They don't bring that kid up by their good obedience. Bad company brings you down. And that does that's not to say that by God's grace you can't be a missionary and light salt and light to the world for sure. But especially as kids, and we could talk about this in in schools and in our culture as well now too, you can't expect a kid to go out and fight culture wars that kid is going to be dragged down Mm -hmm. and is going to lose your family values. You have to be protective of your kids because that bad company will corrupt their good behavior. In the Old Testament, if you touched a woman who was menstruating, you were unclean. If you touched an animal that was unclean, you were unclean. And therefore, you were a danger to other people. And so Ed Welch points this out that unholiness... And uncleanness always contaminates that, whatever it comes into contact with. Jesus comes, and Jesus spends all this time with the unholy and with the unclean. And remarkably, not only is he made unclean, not made unclean, his holiness and his cleanness and health and wholeness spreads to the people who touch him. So if you think about the woman who had been bleeding for for years and years. Yeah. She touched him 
And he did not become unclean. She was healed. And the blind and the lepers, Jesus touched them, which made him ceremonially unclean, according to Jewish law, according to Old Testament law, not just Pharisaical Jewish law, but actually according to Old Testament law, Jesus was becoming unclean. But he didn't. He didn't become unclean. He made, touching Lazarus, a dead man, he made what was unclean, clean and whole again, because his holiness is so perfect and so complete, it can't be contaminated by that which is unclean. And so, going just going full circle, I had never realized this. I've I've heard the story of the woman at the well a lot, but when he asks the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, for a drink, he doesn't have a vessel from which to drink or to draw water. So he will be sharing a cup with a Samaritan woman and Samaritan women were considered by the Jews to be perpetually unclean. So there's this, you know, if you were menstruating, you know, the reason that, was it Rachel who wouldn't get up off of the box where she'd hidden Laban's idols because she said, oh, I'm on my period, dad, I can't get up. And he's like, oh, you know, so that's essentially the reaction that Jesus should have had to this Samaritan woman. Like, I can't even come close to you because you mm-hmm. could contaminate me. And not only does he do that, he drinks from her own cup. You think about that in a COVID age. Like, you're sharing a cup with a stranger? <laughs> and any stranger. And the, and the remarkable thing is, so he points out, Jesus just goes to the heart of this woman's shame. Like, if you, you know, you've had servers remember that server at the restaurant that you were at a couple of months ago who told you that she was thinking of having an abortion yeah you guys jared just has this very strange knack for having people make confessions like that to him and you know the so the jesus response (laughs) this is what would jesus do what would jesus have done to that woman he would have been like well how how have you been living in sin sexually that would have gotten you in this situation basically is what jesus you don't you wouldn't do that no i didn't i didn't go quite that's why that's why what would jesus do is you can't follow jesus example but he he goes straight to the heart of this woman's sin right like she's out at the well in the middle of the day to avoid Mm -hmm. being seen because she knows how sinful and how shameful and how unclean she is and and jesus like doesn't skirt around it even remotely he just goes straight to the heart because he knows that's what she needs. He knows that she needs to have her shame peeled back to the very deepest level in order for it to be Well, healed. it's funny because that is somewhat relevant today. The, in World Magazine's The Sift, there's an article of a girl going out. Her boyfriend, her date is standing at the doorway. And her mom looks at the girl and says, And please remember, having control of your body doesn't begin at pregnancy. <laughs> oh, right? Oh. I was like, oof. Man, use that one. Nailed it. Yep. Um, so anyway, so Jesus, he he peels back every layer and goes straight to the deepest, most painful part of her shame. And then in, in drinking from her very cup, he takes on her shame and her uncleanness. And 
obviously then the end of the story is he dies Mm -hmm. for the shame and the uncleanness of all of us. But uh, I had never made the physical uncleanness connection from that story in John of the woman at the well. And I thought that was a really cool addition additional layer especially knowing my love for how welch uh has done the shame un- uh shame clean unclean spectrum that he has hmm hmm cool is that it for our show uh no no <laughs> just a little bit more oh my mom just Sorry. texted that she saw a mouse run across the floor at the grocery store she's at right now that's exciting does the grocery store need one of our cats? <laughs> Who was I just talking to? By the way, oh. I was mowing the lawn yesterday, and there was a head. Did you see the headless bird in the yard? That was a Luna. We've got a we've got a zombie cat. All Luna wants to do is kill them and eat their heads. She, you actually, she doesn't actually eat bird heads. Uh, she she eats bunny heads. I don't know where I took notes. I was I was actually just. Looking for notes. So last Tuesday or Thursday, this has been Tuesday, Uncle Vernon called me because I called him out wanting more information about regenerative Regenerative farming. Farming. And he listened to last week's show. Off the top of my head, I don't, I can't remember. For context, for those of you that don't know who Uncle Vernon is, he owns, uh, he's one of our listeners and owns a huge, monstrous, legit commercial organic farming operation in California like he's and like, it's shifting it not just from top. organic but into regenerative which means that you're you're doing holistic things to bring health into the soil mm-hmm. which so one of the off the top like of my head a lot of work to figure out what works with what and what works where well and all yes. the things and he said this man. is this is only the second or third year that they're <sighs> really deliberately doing this and they've made changes for each year because of things that have worked and that haven't worked but i what made me think of that is i asked him if he could have have cattle because our friends the hansons are planning to have cows and the way that cows you know their poop and all of the things that they, they're tromping on the soil stirs it up and things like mm-hmm. that. And that actually rebuilds the soil in a remarkably integrative way. And and he said no in order to pass any sort of commercial standard for cleanliness and being able to sell things at more than just a farmer's market. You can't have animals anywhere near your crops because of the potential for contamination. So he's having to figure out how to do the regenerative thing. (laughs) So he didn't say this, but like a vegan regenerative thing. (laughs) He can't use, he uses chicken manure from chickens that live in a separate facility. But one of the very cool things that he said, because I was asking him about cover crops and um, in, in small, smaller gardeners, they call it, now like companion planting. And so if you mm-hmm. plant marigolds and basil and nasturtiums with tomatoes, they repel pests differently for each other. And somehow the different things that they emit actually help them to prosper. Well, he said that the what's going on at the roots of plants is tremendously important for the health of the soil. And at the very tip of a plant's roots... That's where nutrients are coming from 
up above in a plant. So where the chlorophyll, you know, it basically makes a form of sugar and gets carried down to the root tips. And there are literally millions of microorganisms living at the root tips of every plant underground. And they're doing something unique for that plant and they're benefiting mm-hmm. from the sugars that the, that plant is sending down into its roots. And each different plant attracts a different set of these millions of microorganisms. And so you want diversity of what's in your ground because everything is adding, it's ta- everything is taking something different out of the soil, but then everything is adding something different back into the soil, especially through those microorganisms that are digesting things and creating different nutrients. And that that got me thinking because I've been reading a lot about no-till gardening, which of course we tilled the garden this year, but apparently in genuinely healthy soil, you don't actually need to till because there's this natural life cycle where if you harvest plants by not pulling them completely out of the ground, but by cutting them at the root, like at the base and letting the roots dissolve back into the soil that keeps the soil loose, as well as having all of these microorganisms and worms and things like that and keeping it moist all year round. So all these things can continue to grow instead of like we water our garden during the summer when things are growing in it instead of all the time. So that is hurting it, the soil health. Because all these microorganisms need moisture to survive. I kind of assumed that the tilling process was just to make the ground, to break up the ground and make it soft again. Yeah. So apparently if you have things decomposing and breaking down into the ground and worms worms are pulling like the broken up plants and then tunneling through and depositing the Mm -hmm. decomposing stuff. I was putting together decaying and decomposing the decomposing stuff and it apparently you don't need to till because the soil is soft enough as it is now i don't know that that's true for carrots and potatoes and other root vegetables because our soil has so much clay in it yeah it's very hard to get things like that out of the ground my, my my thought was is we've been as as we've been tilling and adding more more other nutrient mm -hmm. fresh soil that we buy we get a uh, the company um, we buy a, a cubic yard has yeah has a big giant like huge bag of their gold soil that we've been adding that they pull from their they use for their grass that they grow around here so i i would just kind of assume that by doing that as regularly as we are we eventually will get to the point where it'll be nice but maybe yeah. we need to put something in it in the fall when you're done that's so that so you can plant cover crops that yeah. then keep weeds from coming up and then you can just pull them up and use them as a layer of mulch. Mm-hmm. And then it holds the moisture in when you plant seeds. And it's just bare ground with seeds in it, which is what we have right now, more or less. You put a layer of decaying plants. Some people use straw, but if you have a cover crop, you just use that cover crop. And that holds moisture in while your seeds are germinating. Because I know with with the trees and stuff I've been planting... Um, you don't want to just like a couple of pear. You need two different varietals of cherry trees, of pear trees, for them to cross pollinate and actually yield fruit. But you don't want to plant certain trees next to other certain fruit trees, and you want to keep things separate because 
this tree will eat up this tree and you know that sort of thing and it's kind that's, of a that's also how so squash and peppers will cross pollinate with each other mm-hmm. and you have you get to get keppers or yeah so i saved seeds squoppers. from i saved seeds from zucchini maybe the second year we had a garden so like 3 years ago and then mm-hmm. the next year they were like a hybrid between zucchini and maybe a spaghetti squash or something they grew all like six inches around and like a foot long were the biggest ones instead of being a nice little (laughs) zucchini that's two or three inches around and a foot long they just turned into these like wiffle ball bats immediately that's so and i think it's because they had cross-pollinated with things did you know also that zucchini flowers make a male flower and a female flower and you have to have pollinators like a bee or if you don't have enough bees, you have to like use a Q-tip and manually pollinate the female flowers, which is where the fruit grows. Really? The, so there's male flowers that just come out of the stems and don't do anything on their own. The female flowers, uh, as they die off, the the zucchini grows from the base of the of the stalk outward, and the flower is at the tip of it, as, and it dies off. But the flat, the zucchini doesn't really grow unless the male flower pollinates the female flower. Speaking of which, um, have you? I, I heard you mention this to a friend that came and picked up your stuff. But I've seen no bees and no wasps. Yeah, we've seen a couple wasps, and I've seen I have like four bees on a salvia plant. Are there theory? You have a theory? Have you looked up what's going on? <sighs> Is it the African killer hornet that's eating them all? I just think that Jesus is going to come back soon. The world is getting so (laughs) bad. How can it be bad? Roe versus Wade was overturned. We're going the other way now. Have you seen people's reaction to Roe versus Wade? Oh my gosh. I, it it is, the, the things that people will say out loud about Clarence Thomas right now that they say on Twitter and totally get away with. The problem is, Makes yes, me sick to social my media has, I've, I've gone on this over and over and I over know, again. I know, I know. It's contributed to this whole, like, I can say whatever I want, whenever I want. We've lost all public decorum. Yes, I agree. Also, the Daily Wire published a thing uh, the other day about how the Hubble telescope is demonstrating how the universe is expanding at a faster rate mm-hmm. than cool. it did during the so-called eventually, Big Bang. Eventually, the universe is going to catch up to heaven, and that's when it's going to end. Because yeah, then the, the bridge, soon. the bridge between, no, never mind. No, so so the the bee thing is actually concerning, and it makes me wonder if we should start keeping bees next spring. Because I'm hoping to have a lot of plants that would help pollinators, like well, and then the Molly blackberries that I'm planting. Yeah. Yep. We go through it. We probably would still have to buy honey unless we had do we lots have enough, of bees. Do we have enough? I mean, we've got property. Do we have enough property to create enough space for the bees that they well, won't, they, won't they don't be bothered by? just stay on our property. I know, but what I'm saying is every time you see a group of beehives, they're way out in the middle of a field somewhere. No, they're not. We have friends with beehives in their backyard in Billings. That's true. They just go until they find plants to pollinate. But I would like to plant a couple of more more early spring flowering things like the purple one that I have in the garden. That's where Mm. the bees hang out there. But yes... I'm not complaining that we don't seem to have as many wasps. I'm okay keeping. I wouldn't mind keeping bees. That could be kind of fun. Um. So, 
Speaking of the garden, this is you the other thing. You would probably just sense that I'm worried about getting stung and then sting me. Well, that's why you wear the whole... <laughs> that's why you have to buy the whole beekeeping suit yeah. and stuff. I... I have been thinking a ton about gardening metaphors for life. Because we planted our garden... What I would say is a fairly appropriate time this year. You're supposed to wait until after the last possible frost date to get most things in the ground. We were on our big camping trip over Memorial Day, and Memorial Day is traditionally that time for for billings. So we got the stuff in the ground, and I don't know exactly what happened. If it was because I was using old seeds that I had gotten from the year before, if it was because we planted stuff and then watered it moderately, and then it got really, really hot... And we didn't what we were didn't have the sprinkler system set up yet, and so maybe things germinated and then didn't really survive. But three almost nothing came up from my first planting. So just last week, I finally gave up on those things. So for example, out of three packets of beans, I have three bean plants that came up, and. I've seen more carrots sprouting up, so I'm more encouraged by that. But I went and bought another packet of carrots and replanted several rows where it didn't seem like anything was coming up. And what else? I replanted the peas that I planted, although now it's probably going to be too hot for them to do very well, but we can hope. And I started butternut squash inside, and I put them in the ground. And they're the same size that they were almost a month ago when I put them in the ground. So it's been very frustrating and discouraging and especially, as you guys know me and my tinfoil hats, I'm reading news things about potential, not potential, impending food shortages globally. And it's certainly going to affect third world countries more than it's going to affect us because the United States just has the power financially to buy things that and so it's the third world countries that get their wheat imports from Ukraine that are blockaded by Russia right now. But, you know, there's all of these predictions that the American food harvest this year even is going to be less than it was because farmers can't afford the diesel to tend their crops and they can't afford the fertilizer. There's a fertilizer shortage. So, which I just saw today, there's a Roundup shortage because they don't have the right chemicals to make Roundup. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> like, there is a silver lining to the chemical shortage in the United States. Less Roundup in our food system. But, so I, as I was planting the garden earlier this year, and I bought all of these jars hoping to be able to can the excess produce that we don't eat. And now I'm looking at replanting a bean crop at the very end of June, which means we'll get a two-month growing season out of it, out of everything. And right now, the garden is a lot of... <clears throat> I brought back some sticks from the cabin, like four or five-foot tall, two-inch diameter sticks, and mm. made some structures for the tomatoes and for the beans to climb on and for the cucumbers to climb on. And now we have all of these two-inch tall cucumber plants and two-inch tall butternut squash plants. And beans that there are two beans under this entire big log structure that I made for the beans to climb on. And a couple of them are just starting to poke through the ground of the ones I replanted, which makes me happy. But I I had to battle last week when I was going out to buy the new bean pouches, this deep discouragement 
And also this, I I don't think it's hyperbole to say, almost a rising panic. And I thought of the parable where Jesus says the man filled his silos with wheat and was like, I'm good to go. I got this. I'm set. And then God struck him dead. <laughs> this, this, you can't predict the future and you can't control the future. You can work as hard as you as hard as you possibly can and you can do it diligently and you can do it unto the Lord and you can do it because you're seeking to be wise and to be a good steward and go to the ant you sluggard store up food in the summer for the winter when when things are scarce but ultimately the harvest still belongs to the Lord and I just it's deeply humbling I was as I was out doing some weeding today, I was thinking how incredibly humbling it is to be so much at the mercy of the elements, even with all of our modern technology and our fertilizer and the fact that I could go out and buy new beans and the fact that we have sprinklers that are now watering our plants three times a day (laughs) and, um, and all of the things that we can control. Ultimately, we as a small time gardener, as well as the major farmers who are producing crops across the United States, across the world, they're at the whim of the elements. If you're not a believer, that's what you think. If you're a believer, you know that you do your best and then you have to trust the Lord for the outcome. And so that was one thing, just how deeply humbling. And I wonder, I wonder if America would be better off if more people (laughs) kept gardens and just spent more time, I mean, first of all, spent more time outside and in the dirt, but second of all, had that deeply humbling experience that, boy, if I'm sitting in a cubicle with a computer, I can control all the variables around me, or I feel like I can control all the Mm -hmm. variables around me. And so I fly off the handle on Twitter or whatever, or the people around me, or I cut those people out of my life because I can't control the unknowns and the disasters that they bring into my life. But when you're gardening, you have so little control of pests and the elements and things like that. The other thing that I feel like the garden is teaching me this year is just patience. And I'm realizing we have some life situations where as Tom Petty says, the waiting is the hardest part. <laughs> you know, you you sow seeds in a garden and you wait and wait and wait. And you just th- keep thinking, tomorrow I'm going to see them come up. Tomorrow I'm going to see them come up. And after two and a half weeks, you're like, I-, I don't think those seeds are coming up. So then you sow a new round of seeds. And every day you're out checking. Are they coming up today? Are they coming up today? Are they coming up? Oh, maybe they're kind of peeking through, but... You just have to be patient. You can't make anything happen. And it makes me think of Paul saying, I sowed a harvest or I sowed the seeds. Somebody else watered it and somebody else harvests, Mm -hmm. but God's the one who makes it grow. And so I just think in so many areas of life, you know, trying to be financially responsible, you can't build a nest egg or whatever, whatever, however you feel about 
upcoming economic crashes or recession or building for your future, creating retirement, building wealth, creating security, whatever you're thinking with your finances is, you can't do it overnight. Yeah. It's just patient, faithful diligence. And a huge portion of that is out of your control, especially in our current environment. Um, You guys were selling one of our cars right now that gets 13 miles to the gallon and hoping to to purchase, to replace it, a car that gets closer to 30 miles to the gallon. And the absolutely wild thing is we can order a new one, literally order a 2023 model of this car that we've decided we want for cheaper than we can buy a seven-year-old used one on the used marketplace. <laughs> the market's ridiculous. Even, right I mean, and this is from private party. It's not even going to a dealer for a used one. But a 2015 Subaru is $30,000 and a brand new base model is $24,000. It's absolutely bonkers, you guys. To to be, you know, how do you how do you plan for the future and try to be wise financially when when you're in such an upside down world that it's cheaper to buy a brand new car than it is to buy a seven year old car with 150,000 miles on it? It's the tier. It, I mean, the market conditions. But no, you're right. Like some like a, I was, I've told multiple people over the last few days. I think my brother was. We were just. We were lamenting on some things over text. And I was like, it's just so much easier to just roll with the changes, you know, not to have so much of your, you know, like the decision you made. And I see this all over the place. The decisions Molly and I made related to cars or whatever, five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago, um, we're based on a completely different set of circumstances and life conditions. You know, for instance, we didn't have four kids. We weren't living on two and a half acres. We weren't doing this. This wasn't the thing. This didn't, you know. And so all these things, and if you can just not be married to those things and go, ah, and, and life, when life changes around you, but just kind of flex and roll and be like, ah, it's just life, you know. Yeah. Um, it's Well, just so not, not just that's just life, but I will wrap it up with with going back to the gardening that that in all of life whether it's your financial decisions whether it's discipling your kids whether it's we had a discussion on our telegram of relationships and people there's a handful of people that commented on the telegram man i really i really desire and feel like i need deep relationships and God has just not given them to me in this season of life, whether it's because I moved or because the church small groups that I'm, I've looked at being a part of, they just are not the type of people that I feel like I would develop deep bosom sorts of relationships with. And so you have this sense of deep need and desire and God is not at this point granting that desire to you. And the the best you can do is plant seeds and try to water them the best you can. So in relationships, try to plant seeds, be faithful, don't sit back and whine, don't just complain, actually be actively looking for and trying to c- cultivate relationships. But if, if the bean doesn't grow, the bean doesn't grow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, so you, you are faithful, you're a good steward, 
in whatever area of life it is, you plant the seeds of the word in your kids and their hearts could grow up full of weeds and choke out whatever little bean, baby bean plant that maybe started to flower. And you have to trust that, that God is the Lord of the harvest, not you, and that he is all wise and that he is all good in whatever harvest he deems fit Mm-hmm. to reap in your life in that season and that he is also Jehovah Jireh the provider and he will provide for you in whatever area you're feeling this want he will provide for you what he as your good shepherd knows that you need not what you think you need not you know the 4-year-old throwing the temper tantrum because she Deep in her heart knows that she needs more chocolate frosting on her banana than she got. But what she really needs. Yeah. Uh, and and that ultimately we do live in a land that is cursed with thorns and with thistles and with fruitless work because we live in a land that's broken by sin. And when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. Because there will be no more thorns, there will be no more fruitless labor, and we will get to enjoy the bounty of whatever harvest we've sown and haven't seen fruit from here on earth. God will God will abundantly bless that harvest in heaven, I believe. Love it. And if you're interested, the current discussion on Telegram is around uh, marijuana usage. So if you want to get involved in that discussion, that's the current one that's happening right now in our Telegram group. We do have a Too Busy to Flush private Telegram group that you can join. The link to do that is in the show notes. If you'd like to send us a message another way, you can do so on our website at www.toobusytoflush, all grammatically correct, .com, or www.tb2f.com. tb2f.com. Scroll all the way down, you'll see a little postcard option. You can send us a message there. Or you can send us uh, an email at uh, tb2f at pmpapamike.me, tb2f.me. Otherwise, with all of the stuff we included, the uh, recipes, the links, um, all those things, I'll include those in the show notes. And we will hopefully be back next week, because we're a weekly podcast, with another episode talking about how wonderful... Uh, the 4th of July holiday was. Or... And how big my bean plants are. Yeah, they're going to be huge. I just... God willing. Put two stakes, uh, four stakes in the ground over one of the things and took some cattle panel and wired up the cattle panel so we have a big, cool archway that the beans will grow on, which would be kind of fun. Um, it's kind of fun. I, li- I like developing that that land a little bit, that little property. It's just it's enjoyable. So anyway, I've got to go downtown and do some noodling at the club and get a new... Uh, a new uh, sprinkler head and fill out some paperwork at the pub station and all the things. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to try to stay cool since it's going to be almost 100 degrees today. Yeah, I'm going to be inside. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye.